0: Hey, welcome to First Baptist Church Online. My name is Steve Polk. I'm executive pastor here at First Baptist, and we're so glad that you chose to join us for this online message. Our special friend, Eddie Leppard, is a guest of ours today. We're excited to have him speak and to hear what God has laid on his heart to share with us. So the message he's bringing today is from Acts chapter 16. He's going to talk about what uh, what God's answers are to life's most important questions. And so go ahead and grab a notebook and a pen and, and a copy of God's word, turn to Acts chapter 16 and get ready to engage with what Brother Eddie has to share. Let's pray for him now as he comes. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for Eddie, for his ministry, for the word that you've given to him today to share with us. That as we hear, uh, hear what he has to share and we hear the truths of scripture, we're able to apply it to our lives and use it to allow us to grow closer to you and for our lives to more resemble what you'd have us do as believers. For those that don't know you, pray that they would come to faith in Christ in you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Good morning, church. I want to say
1: what incredible worship you have here. in these three services, the time, the energy, the effort, uh, just the incredible job by your worship teams, leadership, choir, Let's give them a hand. What an incredible, incredible worship experience. And, and, yes, Steve and I go way back. Uh, He's a good friend. I've admired his ministry, followed his ministry in the 35 now plus years here and all God has used him to do we're uh, very close with the Polk family as well our sons played college baseball together and, and to see Jamie again who spent some time in Greer and Cole Brandon, who's uh, in the church that I pastored was out of the church I pastored in Greer for so many years and great to see him now on this team and in this church and and just a privilege to be with you you know as Steve said after 37 years as a lead pastor Dawn my wife and I have decided led by God to start a ministry to, to families, prioritizing families, Leopard Home-based ministries, and and love the opportunities that we had with you all to do a one-night marriage seminar. Sometimes we do weekends, and I'm always looking for a place to preach. I love to preach God's Word, and it is an honor to stand in for Steve today. If you have your Bibles today, we're in Acts chapter 16, Acts chapter 16. And I want to share with you this morning on the subject, God's answer to the world's most important question. God's answer to the world's most important question. Acts chapter 16, I'll begin reading in verse 22 through verse 34. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. And the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. But about midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword, supposing that the prisoners had escaped, was about to kill himself. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Verse 31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house, and he took them that very hour of the night and washed their wounds. And immediately he was baptized, he and all his household. And he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. What must I do to be saved? It's the most important question a person can ask. The answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. My prayer this morning is that's a reality in your life. I hope there was a time when you believed in the Lord Jesus. Now, for some of us, we've got to think back a while. But think back. What was that experience like? I'm not saying you need to remember the date or the time, but there had to be a time when you believed in the Lord Jesus. Maybe it was when you were very young. Maybe it was when you were older in life. What was your life like? Maybe it was pretty normal. Normal life and and the Holy Spirit of God just spoke to your heart. Convinced you that you were a sinner in need of a Savior. You could not save yourself and you believed in Jesus. Maybe for others it was more dramatic. It was an emotional Damascus Road kind of experience and you shed tears. You may have even wept. Both experiences are just as real. What was your life like? the circumstances of your life you say well pretty normal everything was fine or maybe like me you would say I had a Romans 2 4 salvation experience it was the goodness of God that led me to repentance when I realized just how good God is I was a senior in college when I came to know Christ have been very successful athletically academically Uh, Great social life, but something was missing. I just didn't have peace. I did not have joy. Any of you see the interview with the Oklahoma softball players, the women's softball team that just won the World Series? Man, what a great interview. It's all over social media. They're praising Jesus. They're giving glory to God. And one of them said, you know, I was on the previous team that won the World Series, and I thought that would make me happy. Yeah, it made me happy, but I didn't have joy. I found out only that kind of joy can come from a relationship with Jesus and Jesus alone. Man, what a great testimony. That's a little bit of where I was. I realized that all of the blessings in my life came from the hand of God. I said, man, I didn't serve a God like that. Maybe some of you were at the end of your rope. Maybe some of you hit bottom. Maybe some of you are there now. And it's you're, you're at the end of your rope. Your circumstances are horrible. Your situation is devastating. That's... What we see in Acts chapter 16, this man we call the Philippian jailer, the Philippian jailer, he was at the end of his rope. He saw no way out of his circumstances. He saw no path forward. In fact, he was about ready to take his own life. But that's where we see Paul and Silas interceding. Man, it is so great to hear your church coming back from a mission trip, getting ready to go on mission trips. When you read the Old Testament, you read the book of Acts, you see Paul and Silas on mission trips. They're going from place to place, and everywhere they went, two things happened. There would be a revival, but it would also be a riot. Such was the case in Philippi. They were accused of messing up the business of Some men who had a slave girl who was a fortune teller. They cast a demon out of her and said, hmm, that's not going to work. He's costing us a profit. So they had Paul and Silas beaten with rods. They were beaten bloodied. Verse 33 said they had open wounds. Then they threw them into a prison, more like a, a dungeon because we see it was in an inner prison. It was a hole in the ground, a dark, deep, damp rat-infested dungeon. Their feet were placed in stocks. Think about that. Cramping, you can't walk it off, you can't stretch it out. And they've been beaten within an inch of their life. Unsanitary conditions, no restrooms, you went where you were. They could have died there. Put yourself in their place. How would you respond? I've thought about that. I thought about how I'd respond. Hey God, I didn't sign up for this. Now I thought this would be like a vacation, this mission trip. I didn't sign up for these circumstances. I mean, I, I'm trying to be faithful here, God, and now this is what I get. I'd be like John Mark. He 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 couldn't even handle the first missionary trip. About halfway through that, he said, "I'm going back to the house. I I can't handle this." That that would have been me, I believe. But here. I want you to see how they responded in these situations, in these circumstances, hungry, tired, hurting. Notice how Paul and Silas responded. They decided to worship God. Look at verse 25. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. Wow. Well, and you can do that. It's real, folks. That midnight... When things are the darkest. Hey, I don't have any trouble praising God at 12 noon. Now, what a beautiful day out there. When the sun is shining, when the climate is absolutely perfect, I can praise God at 12 noon. It's 12 midnight I have trouble with. But there's an old saying, if you have a song to sing in the midnight hour, oh, then it's real. When things were the darkest. They were still praising God. They were praying to God. They were worshiping God. They were singing hymns of praise. Have you experienced a midnight hour? Are you there now? You know, what's a midnight hour? When the doctor says, we've done all we can do. When your spouse says, I don't love you anymore, I'm leaving. When your boss says, we don't need you anymore, you're fired. When a loved one dies. Can you still praise God? Can you still worship him? If you can, you've got what Paul and Silas had. And it's a real faith. So I want you to notice secondly how God responded. I believe God responded to the worship and the prayers and the praise of Paul and Silas. Look at verse 26. And suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. That was a God-ordained, God-designed earthquake. A natural earthquake would have done what? I mean, it it was a dungeon. It was a hole in the ground. It it would have caved in and everybody would have have died. Oh, but not here. This this is a God-ordained earthquake. Prison doors were open. Chains were unfastened. Only God can do that. And God is responding to their prayers and to their praise. I wonder had they been criticizing God. I wonder if they had been complaining about their situation if God would have responded this way. I doubt it. But God responds in a miraculous, supernatural kind of way. Now, how would you have responded? Uh, God, you're a little bit late. God, you could have shown up before I'd gotten beaten. God, you could have been uh, on my schedule. Listen, God's an on-time God. He's never late. When he showed up for Lazarus four days after he was dead, he was on time. Oh, he could have prevented his death, but he was going to do something bigger. And here God does something big. He does something miraculous. But what I want us to see today, thirdly, is how this jailer responded to this. Notice how the jailer responded in verse 27. And when the jailer had been roused out of sleep, obviously a heavy sleeper, and had seen the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Why? Supposing the prisoners had escaped. That's why he would take his own life. That's why he would fall on his sword. If a jailer had been charged with keeping an important prisoner, and he had been, and that prisoner escaped, he would be executed. It's also believed that if more than one prisoner escaped, and there were several here, he would be tortured first and then executed. And this jailer had seen some of that. He'd been around a while. He was a tough customer. He was rough. He was rugged. He was hardened. He was probably retired military. In all probability, he was. He was probably a retired Roman soldier. And, and now he's a jailer. He'd seen everything. And he knew what would happen. So he said, I'm just going to fall on my own sword. I, I'm not going to endure that. I'm not going to go through that. And, and once again, I want you to notice something about Paul. Paul and Silas and the other prisoners are over in the shadows. The doors were open. The chains were unfastened. They were free from their stock, but they had not escaped. They were back in the shadows. And Paul sees this jailer about to fall on his sword. How many of us would have let that jailer take his own life? how many of us would have said go ahead buddy do yourself in and we would have stepped over his body and walked out to freedom he may have been the one who beat them he was certainly one who mistreated them yet Paul cared more about that jailer's salvation than he did his own personal freedom he cared more about that jailer's soul than his own personal comfort oh it would have been a tragedy for that man to die, but it would have been more tragic for him to die lost and not know Jesus. So Paul stops him. Do yourself no harm. We're all here. And that act of kindness motivated this hard-to-reach, hardened customer that we would never have witnessed to, to say, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to go to heaven when I die? What must I do to have eternal life? And you know there are a lot of answers to that question, right? A lot of wrong answers. Do you realize that there's some people in this country who believe they're Christian because they're United States citizens? I live in a quote-unquote Christian country. Well, that's up for debate, isn't it? I think we're post-Christian. But there's some people who believe that. They'll say, hey, I, 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 I'm I, Citizen of this country, that makes me a Christian because this is a Christian nation. That's like saying, you know, I work in McDonald's. That doesn't make me a hamburger, does it? Or I I live in a garage. That doesn't make me a car. Even though we live in a quote-unquote Christian country, it doesn't make us Christians. Others say, well, I'm Christian because my parents were Christian. My mom and dad were Christian. You know, mom sang in the choir. What an incredible choir you had! And I, I, I'm, great. my dad was a deacon. They were faithful church members. So maybe I, I'm just, I, I, I'm somehow, I've inherited my salvation. I mean, you look at this story. I, I mean, you see here, they, uh, he believed, and he and his house were all baptized. Listen, they didn't get their salvation on his coattails, they all believe too. But there are people who believe that that somehow salvation's inherited. Others would say, well, I'm a member of a church. You know, Billy Graham said one time that the largest prospect role we have is the role of the church. That, yeah, you can get your name on the roll of the church, doesn't mean your name's on the roll up yonder. You can walk an aisle, fill out a card, pray a prayer, do whatever, and be a church member, still not be saved. Well, I've been baptized. Well, you're baptized because you have been saved, not in order to be saved. Or maybe you're like me. When I was a kid, this is what I thought. I thought there was one of these scales. You, you, you've seen those scales that's got the weight on one side and the weight on the other side. and it, it had my name across the top. I, I thought that was in heaven. And every time I committed a sin... God would put a weight over here. Every time I committed a good deed, he'd put a weight of like measure over here. And when I died, whenever that was, as long as my good deeds outweighed my bad deeds, God would say, come on into heaven. That's heresy. That's that's not biblical. That's not true. That's a lie. See, in order to be accepted by God, I, I have to be perfect. Anybody here who's never sinned? And even if I had never sinned, I'm still born in sin. I've got a sin nature, so I've got a problem. The answer to the world's most important question, verse 31. Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you shall be saved believe in the lord jesus not believe and be baptized you'll want to do that though that's your first act of obedience not believe and serve or share my faith or go on mission you'll want to do that because that's evidence that's fruit of your salvation but to be saved believe in the lord jesus now let me say a word about that word believe See, we use that word believe today in a very superficial way, right? I believe the lights are on. Uh, I believe this is a table. Uh, Intellectual agreement. Have you ever heard it said that some people will miss heaven by 18 inches? Difference between their head and their heart. Romans 10, 9 says, if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe uh -uh, believe in our heart, we shall be saved. There's a difference. Well, what does it mean just to believe in my heart, Well, in my head? Well, it just means to believe all about Jesus. You know, the Bible says the demons believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I mean, they believe and tremble. Are they saved? No. They believe who Jesus says he is. They believe all that, but they've never believed in Jesus and on Jesus. I, I believe that chair will hold me up. I believe it intellectually. I know I'm overweight, but I really believe that chair will hold me up. Is that chair holding me up? No. What must I do for it to hold me up? I must commit myself to it. I must sit in it. That's what believe means in the Bible. That's what it means to believe in your heart. It literally means to lean upon with all of your being, with all of your weight. You see the difference between believing in your head and believing in your heart? Is that which you're committed to. Years ago in the 1850s, there was a French acrobat by the name of Blondin. Blondin came to the United States, made a lot of money, a lot of publicity by walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. He did this for years and people would show up. And finally, though, the crowds dwindled a little bit because, you know, it became routine just walking across Niagara Falls on a tightrope. So as the story goes, in, 19, in 1859, he, uh, he walked across the tightrope and then he asked for volunteers. He said, do any of you believe that I can carry you across on my back? And everybody raised their hand, Yes. Then he asked for volunteers, and then, uh uh-uh. What you see there is his manager, Harry Colgood. Only Harry would commit himself to it. And you say, well, that sounds like you're working for your salvation. Now, I don't see Harry working there, do you? He's just totally depending, totally depending on George Blondin. In fact, Blondin had said, told him before they left, hey, don't you move. Please don't move. Don't look down. You just hold on and look ahead. You don't do anything. You let me do everything. Starts the wind, don't you sway. You just stay. That's what believing in your heart means. You're going to really commit yourself, commit your way, lean upon with your whole weight. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Have you done that? Have you, believed? have you surrendered your life, yielded your life to Jesus? Have you believed in your heart? I hope that you have. But it doesn't stop there. How often do we just stop with that decision to follow Jesus? Well, that's when it begins an exciting life, an exciting journey. When we live for Jesus, we live on mission. See, it didn't stop there with this jailer. Notice what happens. This is where it gets really exciting. Verse 31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You're in your household. Verse 32, and they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds he's ministering he's serving and immediately he was baptized that first step of obedience followed Jesus and believer baptism he and all of his household because they had believed as well verse 34 he brought them into his house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly having believed in God with his whole household do you see the fruit do you see the evidence do you see the marks of his salvation he's living his life on mission There's something here I want you to notice. Don't miss this little phrase. He and his household, he and his household, he made his family a priority. He wanted to see them come to Jesus. He wanted to see them be saved. No matter what the consequences. You see what's happened now? These prisoners have escaped. They left the jail. They're now at his house. He could still be held accountable for this. He could still suffer the consequences. He could still be executed. But that was fine with him because now he knew Jesus, his family knew Jesus, and he knew that they would be together through all of eternity no matter what happened here. Now, we don't think that's what happened in terms of him being executed. You know what we think happened? Well, when you read all of Acts chapter 16, there was a lady who came to know Jesus. Her name was Lydia. She was a well-to-do business lady. There was a slave girl who came to know Jesus, the one they cast the demon out of. And here is a Philippian jailer who came to know Jesus. It is believed that these three were all part of the church at Philippi. See, Paul planted a church there, the Philippian church, the church at Philippi, one of the greatest churches of the New Testament. And you see here that after he got his family to Jesus, he didn't stop there. See, it didn't stop with him coming to Jesus. It didn't stop with just getting his family to Jesus. The important of that is he ministered on. He lived his life on mission, seeking to share the good news of the gospel, seeking to minister to people, seeking to serve people. Have you done all you can to get your family to Jesus? Oh, I know there are folks who are just saying, I've I, I prayed for my spouse. I've prayed for my children. And they've not come to Christ. Don't ever stop praying. I know they have a will of their own, but just keep praying. It's so very important that that's our first ministry. That's our first mission field. Heard a story of a missionary family in China. Back in the 1940s when communism took over missionaries were being sent home some missionaries were being imprisoned some were being martyred and when the authorities came to their home and placed them under house arrest until they decided what to do with them that family started praying God we want your will but God we pray that you know we'd be able to go back home back to the United States when the authorities came back they said we're going to send you home You can leave, you can go to the United States, but you can only take 200 pounds worth of things that you've accumulated and things that are important to you. Well, they've been there for some time, and so this couple started arguing over what was important. And they, they started narrowing it down, and finally they had their little pile of 200 pounds. They weighed it right at 200 pounds. When the man with the authorities came back to their home, he looked at it and he said, uh, is this your 200 pounds? And the parents, uh, the missionary couple said, yeah. And He said, well, did you not bother to weigh your children? Ooh, that, that 200 pounds of stuff wasn't so important, wasn't so valuable anymore, right? Did any of you get COVID? I mean, I, what an insidious disease. I, I mean, I don't know if it was created in a lab somewhere or not, but I, I know it's of the devil. It's just got to be. It separates. It's cruel. And, and some of you lost loved ones. Uh, I know people responded to it differently, but it put me in the hospital. In fact, about day two in the hospital, the doctor came in. and He said, this doesn't look good. We've got a challenge here, but we will do all that we can do. And That, that just doesn't sound very positive, does it? And I began to think and I began to pray about what was really important in my life. And I thought about a lot of things. Serving as president of the South Carolina Convention, pastoring really good churches, or writing a book, or being a college athlete and all those things. And none of that meant anything, really. What was most important to me is that my wife and my children know Jesus, love Jesus, serve Jesus? That's what motivated really me to leave the pastorate and my wife and I to start this ministry to families. We just believe families should be a priority and marriage should be a, a priority. That must have been how this jailer felt. He got his family, Jesus, and I, I remember laying in that hospital and said, Okay, God, I hope you've got some more for me. and, and But I, hey, if not, I know I'll be with you, and I know I'll see my family again one day. But it didn't stop there for this man. He started ministering to those he came in contact with, those who led him to Christ and ministered to them and served them. And then we believe with others started that church in Philippi that would become a great mission-minded, giving, Jesus-sending, Jesus-loving church. The reason I believe that is Paul concludes his letter to the church at Philippi. It's called the book of Philippians, the letter to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 4 verse 15, Paul says this, And you yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. That was a church that lived life on mission. A church that went on mission. A church that gave and supported mission. And I know that's your history. I know that's what God has done at First Baptist Rock Hill throughout the years. You have been a blessing right here in your own Jerusalem. Reaching people with the good news of the gospel. Sending people. People coming back this week. Leaving next week. That's a sign of a good church, a healthy church, a church that God is going to use. You are a blessing to so many people. But I want to leave you this morning with this blessing. I want you to notice what else Paul said to them in chapter 4, Philippians, verse 17. He said, not that I seek the gift itself. I mean, yes, you are a blessing. But that's not why I do this. That's not why you do it, church. But he said, I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Paul says, yes, you are a blessing to me. You are a blessing to me. You are a blessing to others. You are a mission-minded church. You go on missions. You support missions. You give to missions. And you are a blessing. But I am praying that God's going to bless you incredibly. And God did. For your benefit. For your profit. So the question today is, have you believed in Jesus? I pray that you have. If not, you can do that today. And also... Are you now producing fruit? Are you living life on mission? Are you sharing? Are you giving? Are you going? Are you utilizing your spiritual gifts to the glory of God to further his kingdom? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we praise you today. I thank you for the privilege and the opportunity to share, Lord, with this church. It means so much to so many people. A church, Lord, that lives life on missions. A church that's evangelistic here in their own community. A church, Lord, that reaches out even to the ends of the earth. I pray your blessings, Lord, on those that they minister to. And even more than that, Lord, I pray you would return that blessing to this church and continue to use her in a powerful, powerful way. Lord, I pray today for folks who might need to trust in Jesus, that they might believe in their heart that Jesus is the Son of God, and that they trust Him as their personal Lord and Savior, in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastors will be at the front as we worship together, as we have a time of invitation. It's a time that you can respond to trust in Jesus, to believe in Him. It's your opportunity. Don't leave today without certainty in your heart that you know Jesus. You can be saved today by believing in Him. Maybe today you need to recommit your life. You're You know that time. You've believed in Jesus. You're a Christian. You're a believer. But maybe today you say, I need to recommit, rededicate my life. I need to start new, start fresh. I I need to produce that fruit. I need to live life on mission. Maybe you need to recommit, rededicate your life. Maybe you need to join this church. Maybe you've been praying about that and God's leading you here. What a great place to serve. I can't think of a better place. Whatever decision. Would you stand? And would you pray and would you respond as God leads?